One of the many challenges facing beverage marketers is working within a highly regulated industry. Selling wine and spirits can be complicated for the uninitiated. From knowing the difference between a front label and a brand label, to the strict limits on samples to retailers, to Tidehouse laws and social media, remaining compliant with the laws of the land is kind of a requirement. In today's episode, we chat with Liz Holtzclaw, one of the nation's foremost authorities on beverage industry compliance. Recorded late last year, she gives us some very practical advice on some of the most common compliance issues, including label authorization, advertising rules, social media restrictions, and age gating. Hang on, folks. There may be a few you hadn't thought of. Let's get to it. Welcome to Hit the Bottle Podcast, a show for beverage sales and marketing professionals looking to up their game and further their careers and businesses. Viewed through the lens of strategy, technology, and leadership, we explore everything from digital marketing, e-commerce, brand building, public relations, and much more. Each week, we chat with industry experts and leaders, explore practical applications, and discuss what's happening in our world. Our goal is to provide you with the insights and strategies you need to create successful marketing programs. Now it's time to hit the bottle. My next guest brings more than 25 years of alcohol beverage compliance expertise for all size wineries, large to small. She founded Holtzclaw Compliance in May of 2012. Since then, she has seen her business grow to a staff of 10 specialists and analysts with a client base of more than 100 unique clients. She is the leading expert in the United States on federal regulatory compliance. She is also the leader in federal regulatory issues affecting non-traditional beverage alcohol, seltzers, unique packaging, and ready-to-drink cocktails. Welcome to the show, Liz Holtzclaw. Hi, Mike. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Well, thanks so much for for being on the show. It is um, definitely a subject that is near and dear to my heart. It's something that I talk about all the time with my clients, so I'm happy to have you on the show. So to kick things off, um, why don't we start with the label? The label is is often the first touch that a consumer has with a particular brand, and so it's super important. So a lot of marketers spend a lot of time on it, but there are certain regulatory considerations that they need to have when they're designing a label. So what does it take to get a label to market? Alrighty. Well, the first thing is we have to determine whether or not the product is one that requires a COLA. COLA stands for Certificate of Label Approval. Um, If your audience has been in the wine business for more than a couple of minutes, they will have heard about a COLA. And so um, some products are subject to COLA and some are not. But in order to get a label approved, if it's subject to a COLA, every single label has to be submitted to the federal government. They have to look at that label. They have to say, yes, indeed, it has everything that's required and it doesn't have anything that's prohibited. 
and then they issue a certificate of label approval. And a lot of people don't understand that that's necessary right from the gate. And so what are some of the considerations in the design itself that they need to consider? Alrighty. So one of the main things is that the TTB refers to brand label and commonly we would be calling that the front label. And when I'm talking to my producers, I'd say we need to make sure that we're talking about a consumer front and a consumer back label, which may or may not be the legal brand label. A legal brand label has to have three elements, and the easy way to remember it is A, B, and C. A stands for appellation, B stands for brand, and C stands for class and type. So that would be like white wine, red wine, a great variety such as Cabernet Sauvignon or Riesling, Moscato, one of those. All three of those elements, A, B, and C, have to be on the same label. And then there are a number of other required elements that can be on any label. The government warning that many people are familiar with, a sulfite statement that says contains sulfites unless you have a certificate from a TTB lab proving that it has below the detectable threshold of sulfites and all wines have naturally occurring sulfites and so a lot of times marketers would like to not put um, sulfites on the label but unfortunately all wines uh, virtually all wines have naturally occurring sulfites and so we have to have that contained sulfite statement there's a bottling statement a producer's statement name and address and those are the elements that are required on every label okay so what are some other considerations that we need to have when we're talking about um, compliance and marketing programs, like um, how about advertising? So with advertising, one of the things to make sure is that if you have a print advertisement, and that includes on a web, anything that's a visual ad as opposed to um, just sound, is if you depict a product, that product has to be a legal label. It can't be a made-up label, and it has to have all the required elements. And so any advertisement for alcohol beverage has both state and federal minimum requirements. You have to have the responsible advertiser. You have to have the name and address of that responsible advertiser. And if it's not, unless it's an advertisement for a broad category, it has to have a class and type, i.e. champagne, if it's an imported champagne, sparkling wine, a variety, or something of that nature. And one of the things that you have to make sure when you're putting together any advertisements, especially on social media, is that you have to make sure that you're not breaking any of the many, many laws and prohibitions. So one of those is often referred to as, as Tide House. Can you explain Tide House a little bit? Right. So Tide House actually goes back to the time of the repeal of prohibition. And many times when I'm dealing with customers who are from other countries, a lot of times I'm dealing with Australians, New Zealanders, people from um, other parts of the world that are wine producing regions, there isn't a cultural understanding of the neo-prohibitionism that exists in the United States. 
So back when they first repealed prohibition, they put in place all of these rules that were preventing the control of small retailers by large producers. Of course, at that time, that's the way that the world was organized, is there were many, many, many small mom and pop retailers, literally tens of thousands of them all over the country, and there were a small handful of giant producers. Right now, it's actually the other way around. There are a very small number of retailers and distributors, and there are thousands of small producers. There are over 9,000 small bonded wineries in the United States. And so these rules were all set up in assuming that the 800-pound gorilla was the producer and the little guy was the retailer. And one of the things that you're not allowed to do is you're not allowed to give a thing of value to a retailer. And one of the things that happens frequently these days is somebody who is um, promoting a small winery, they may produce less than a thousand cases. And they're all excited because they just got a placement at a local pub. And so they post on their social media that they got a placement at local pub. And so they say, great news, you can now get our product at Joe's Bar. That is a violation because you're giving a thing of value, i.e. free advertising, to a retailer. And so what we tell people all the time is if you name a retailer in a social media post, you have to name at least one other unrelated e uh, retailer, one that's not owned by the same company. And that's all stems from when the mob owned the entire distribution. And so the idea here is basically that you can't, I mean, the, the spirit and the letter are, are different, but the spirit of the law is basically that it basically keeps producers from having an unfair advantage over other producers by being able to bribe uh, a retailer for placement, for instance. Exactly, exactly. And the TTB has um, put about $5 million that was specially earmarked by Congress into trade practice investigations that have been going on for the last two years. And there have been many, many widely publicized sting operations in this, this trade practice area. Most of them targeted at wholesalers, but a few of them at winery producers and people who were quite innocently doing things they thought they were allowed to do, and it turned out that they were violating these Tide House laws without even realizing that they were doing it. Do you have some examples of that? So an example of that would be, as I said, making a social media post that calls out one retailer without also calling out another one. Uh, another one would be um, providing some advertising space beyond what you're allowed to, providing more samples to a potential retailer than two bottles. You're only allowed to give a retailer two bottles as uh, samples for them to try and taste. Anything more than that 
can be construed as bribing the wine buyer. It's like, I'm gonna fill up your garage with several cases of my wine if you'll buy some and put it on your shelf. And and so that's one of the things, right? (laughs) Exactly, yeah. And so two bottles is the limit. Now, that's that's two bottles to a retailer. That's not to say that um, your listeners can't send more than that to say a wine writer right you can send as much as you want to to a wine writer and or other influencers so you can send as much as you want to to influencers social media influencers any of these kinds of things so long as that as they are not also a member of an entity that owns a retail operation yeah they're not selling wine exactly exactly Here's a message from our sponsor. So let's dive a little bit deeper into social media because I know that there's a lot of questions around this. We've been having the kind of this conversation for for a long time now, and there's still confusion out there as to what's acceptable in social media and what isn't. So you've given a good example of of one where you basically can't you know post about a retailer saying, "Hey, our wines are available at XYZ retailer." Um, you know, what are some what are some other examples of social media posts that? Um, why you should avoid and or what are some of the things they should do to remain compliant one of the things that we need to make sure is that depending on your channel you have to make sure that 80 percent of your it should be 80 percent it's the it, there's kind of a moving target there but 80 percent of the listening audience should be of legal purchase age oh yeah so that's one of the things. If your channel is on a YouTube channel and you, the target for that YouTube channel is normally teenagers, then our advertisers should not be on those channels. In social media, it's very hard to target, but it's also very hard to prove. So as long as you're not being completely ridiculous. So, uh, you know, the old example back in the print media days was that you would not put a print ad for wine in the magazine 17. Right. So. Yeah, but you can actually control that sort of. You Uh, you can sort of. I mean, you know, users on Facebook they self-report their age, and you know, they're not—they're not actually being carded when they set up a Facebook uh, Facebook um, account. But you know, you can actually, when you're setting up your channel, you can actually make sure that uh, the age restriction is there for you know people over 21 or alcohol-related, and therefore people who have self-reported under the age of 21 they won't actually see any of the posts from that correct exactly and if as long as there is reasonable diligence in trying to direct it you're likely not going to get in trouble yeah and you know this is actually um one of the reasons why uh snapchat is so uh frustrating is because snapchat uh, still doesn't have an age gating ability Right. And so, and a lot of people who use Snapchat are under 21. So I, 
I, I that's a it's a channel that is growing and is able to reach a more millennial audience. The problem is, is that because there's no age gating, we can't use it because it would be a violation of that. Exactly. Exactly. I'm, I, I personally am a very, very young, I quote, boomer. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So I'm not on Snapchat, but my daughter is. I have a daughter who's 21 years old. Um, She's, she's now legal purchase age. And she's not in any of the channels uh, on any of the media that she's looking at because she has just become she turned 21 last February. And so I personally would never see the kinds of ads that she would see because I'm not in the same markets and the same channels. But those are the things that we have to be aware of. One of the things that to be aware of, and I typically never find this with marketing professionals, but I do sometimes find it with owners. Somebody will be frustrated with a competitor. You may not make a disparaging comment about a competitor. And uh, as I was prepping for this, I was thinking about one time that I, social media, I'm Facebook friends with a lot of my clients. And so their social media posts will come across my feed. And I was sitting on my couch one evening and one of my clients got upset with uh, something that a competitor was doing and he posted about it and he posted it using his official page. Oops. Uh, well, whoops. And I had to like, I'm sitting on my couch at 10 o'clock at night and I had to like private mess. I had to stop what I was doing, private message him, you know, get a hold of him. And one of his partners is an attorney and I contacted the partner and I'm like, uh, you need to get this down now. <laughs> so cannot make a disparaging comment about a competitor. Cannot target under 21. Cannot have gross nudity or what it would be considered to be obscene and you know the old joke about what's obscenity you know there was a judge that said i, I <laughs> I'll don't know it when i see it right i don't i don't know how, i can't tell you how i define it but i know it when i see it um and now i've been in this business for 28 and a half years and so what was allowed on labels 28 and a half years ago is very different from what is allowed in on labels or on our by extension, any marketing. Because basically the rules for labels and the rules for marketing are the same in terms of the prohibitions. Um, And so we had a label one time that was an impressionistic painting of a woman who was in a pool of water. And it was, I mean, it was an actual work of art. It was a picture of a work of art and TTB tried to turn it down. And we called that label Brooke choking her sister because it was a reflection of a woman in it. And they told me that it was obscene, that you could see her parts. And I'm like, no, you can't. It's, it's an impressionistic painting of reflected water. And now instead, if you look at, this was 25 years ago. These days, almost anything goes. Things that I would have never even thought of trying to submit to the TTB get approved all the time. But we don't, on live pictures, show people that are scantily clad. We recommend that you not show people actually swallowing. You can show them holding Mm -hmm. a glass, laughing, cheering, having fun, but don't show them tipping the bottle up and drinking from the neck of a vodka bottle. Right. Those kinds of things. 
All of them should have some kind of statement that say enjoy our products responsibly. And then if someone's to come back to you later and saying you're encouraging overconsumption, you can say no, we're not. You know, we've made all these comments about, you know, in you know, enjoy our products responsibly. So we don't want to ever encourage overconsumption. But there isn't anything wrong with having adults use the use the our products appropriately. And the other thing is is that you can't make any health claims. That is correct. You cannot make any, well, yes and no. First of all, you must have the mandatory government warning statement. One of the things that I just discovered is you cannot have any government warning from another country. I just, as a matter of fact, had something that came up yesterday and we had a label for a um, sake that's being imported into the United States. And in Japanese, in the, uh, like in vertical, what to me look like hieroglyphics, because I don't read Japanese, you know, but in the <laughs> pictograph characters was a vertical statement. And the translation of that vertical statement was the Japanese health warning about don't drink while you're pregnant. And the TTB made us remove it from the label, the Japanese characters that said don't drink while you're pregnant because it's not the US health statement. That's interesting. Um, European labels will often, you'll see a picture of a pregnant woman with a circle and a line through it. That's one of the European uh, common things that we see. They're not allowed on US labels. Conversely, your health claims, if you make a health claim, it has to be substantiated. And the problem is, is that no matter what evidence you give the TTB to say that your health claim is substantiated, they're going to turn it down. So effectively, no health claims. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. And, you know, to that point, you know, when we're talking about compliance, that, you know, this is just compliance here in the U.S. Uh, of course, we have 50 states we have to deal with, um, but you need to have different labels for different countries. That is and correct. If you're importing any labels here into the country, as you say, you need to have a cola for this country um, as well. And you have to have the, the whatever um, special labeling requirements are re required for the United States. That is correct. So there has to be a special label printed and approved for importing into the United States. And if you don't have it, you can't even get the wine shipment out of customs. I have had cases where we had a problem with something and the wine was literally on the water and had arrived at the port and it was stuck in customs and we couldn't get it out because there was a problem with the label on the bottle didn't match the certificate of label approval that mm -hmm. had been issued. Yeah, that's just a bad day at the office. <laughs> that is a bad day at the office, yeah. Uh, I've had things stuck in customs too, but not for that reason. But yeah, that's never fun. Um, one of the things and that I questions that I get all the time, and we didn't talk about this ahead of time, Mike, so I hope if it's all right if I'm going off script a little bit, is CBD. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yes. The, since the FDA has not approved CBD as a what's called GRASS, which stands for generally recognized as safe, right, you cannot 
put CBD in any alcohol product. Even if the CBD is derived from hemp rather than from marijuana. Huh, that's interesting because I have seen some cannabis infused wines on the market. Really? Yeah. So I wonder if they're only for sale in California. It, even for sale only in California, it's not legal. I would be very interested for you to snap a picture of wherever it was you saw that and send it to me. Hmm. Okay, now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not only that, but even in California, you cannot, like, with the, marijuana is legal in California, and there, but you cannot have any marijuana in an ABC licensed premise. So you cannot pour a glass of wine and have marijuana in the same premise. There are premises where you can smoke and there are premises where you can drink, but you cannot ever smoke and drink in the same premise. Interesting. Oh, that's the, the great future of... Uh, right. Of I get our... this call, like literally, <laughs> I get this call like twice a week from I people. It's a, it's, I it's a... want to do... It's a Cannabis. New world. I want to do CBD. I want to do all these kinds of things. And I'm like, as long as it's illegal at the federal level, we're never going to get. Now, this product that you saw probably was under 7%. Remember how we talked about certificate uh, of label approval? Okay. You only have to get a cola for a wine if it's over 7%. Got it. So somebody probably did it didn't have to get a cola and so they just labeled it uh -huh. and so that label probably has a nutrition panel on it yeah one of the things that we hadn't talked about yet are these low alcohol and seltzers that are becoming very very popular so seltzers yeah white claw tell yes. me about white claw oh <laughs> well first of all technically white claw is a beer not a wine Okay. There are many seltzer products on the market that are classed as wine. There are So what's the difference? Aha, uh -huh. there's a that's it depends on what did I say it was. I have one particular client and I won't say who that was and the exact same formula, i.e. recipe is being produced as a wine and as a beer. It has the exact same ingredients in it. And what the difference was is when we filed the formulas for it, the order in which we put the ingredients in was different. So a beer by definition is a fermentation of a grain or malt or substitute. And a substitute can be plain old cane sugar. So what White Claw is, is plain old sugar fermented and flavored with carbonation added. That's what White Claw is. It's legally a beer and it's produced at a brewery and it's taxed as beer. There are lots of other white wine seltzer products that are sugar, plus some fruit. So it, once I put the fruit in it, Got I it. can ferment fruit plus sugar, i.e. I can take orange juice 
and I can make orange wine. Then I can add some more sugar and I can add some flavors and I can add some carbonation. And now what I have is carbonated wine. Got it. And if it's under 7%, I don't even need to have a cola. I do have to have a formula, but I don't have to have a cola. But if you don't have a cola, then you have to have a nutritional label? That's correct. If you don't have a cola, then you have to have the nutrition panel. So it's what we refer to as an FDA label. So since the TTB doesn't have jurisdiction over that label, the Food and Drug Administration does. The difference is that you do not have to submit your label to the FDA and get it approved. You just have to know the rules and follow them on a okay. honor system. Well, that is some really useful information for everybody. And I really appreciate you being on the show, Liz. All righty. I was Thanks. excited to be asked. <laughs> Thanks a bunch. All right. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. This has been Hit the Bottle, a production of Balzac Communications and Marketing. You can find past episodes on our website at htbpodcast.com. Drop us a line on social at htbpodcast or send us an email to mike at htbpodcast.com or emma at htbpodcast.com. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen. If you like this show, please rate and review in any of the mentioned platforms. Thank you for joining us. Have a great day.